You are listening to an ODI live event podcast. You can find out more about events and research by the Overseas Development Institute by visiting our website, odi.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Overseas Development Institute for this uh, meeting on how smart trade policy can help Africa industrialize. Um, It's a fascinating topic, and we'll be hoping to have a very uh, interesting discussion. Um, Welcome also the online uh, viewers as well. Welcome here uh, at ODI. Um, You can follow this um, meeting uh, online. You can also use the Africa Trade Hashtag. Now, the topic uh, of today, uh, the link between trade and industrialization, is not a new one. Um, we've been discussing that for quite some time. Uh, but I suppose there are a couple of new issues that are coming up as well. And in that context, I think it is important to, uh, to discuss that. Um, for example, um, the context within which African countries are now is that they do like to industrialize. So the question is, how can uh, African countries industrialize more than they have done uh, so far? There's also a new trade context as well. Of course, the WTO issues are are taking place, um, but there's still a question, has, has the WTO really been helpful for the African continent so far uh, in terms of trade policy? Um, but there are also issues in terms of um, external trade policies that you can think about. So the UK um, is thinking about new trade relationships uh, with um, with developing countries post-Brexit. Um, so thinking about uh, economic partnership agreements and the rollover of EPAS um, is, is provides a new context in which we, we're discussing trade industrialization issues. The US uh, just recently um, suggested to a range of East African countries that they should not ban uh, second-hand clothing imports, the Mitumba ban, um, or otherwise they will lose preferences, uh, the AGOA preferences in in the US. Um, These are sort of external uh, trade issues, but of course internally there are also a range of issues that we're we're interested in discussing. Um, And uh, we'll we'll be hearing, of course, today uh, around the continental free trade agreement, um, uh, the the CFTA in Africa, um, thinking about um, liberalizing trade within the region, and that this is going to be launched um, uh, next next month. Uh, At the same time, there are also Lots of inter-regional trade isn't working uh, for for industrialization. So there's a lot of issues that we need to discuss here, Um, and we will do that on the basis of um, first of all a report that has been published uh, through a partnership uh, jointly between the Overseas Development Institute and the UN Economic Commission for Africa. And this is the report, and you may have put may have had a copy. Um, You can you can get it outside. Uh, There are maybe one or two copies here, Um, and that uh, that has been authored by the ODI and UNECA jointly, and we'll be hearing on that, and then we'll discuss that uh, in greater detail. So we've got um, an expert panel to discuss these issues. We've got um, experts, trade experts, who also uh, live or know the region uh, extremely well. And uh, so we'll start off with uh, Linda Calabrese, who is a research fellow here uh, at the Overseas Development Institute. She's also been working on trade issues in East Africa, um, and she worked there for about four years. So she knows those issues uh, really well. She's been a co-author of the report. Um, David Luke 
um, is uh, the coordinator at the African Trade Policy Center at the UNECA. Uh, we're very fortunate that you've, you've been able to come over to discuss the report, and no doubt you will talk a lot about the CFTA, uh, which is your, your, uh, your area of expertise, uh, and there are a range of other issues as well, and probably the world's the world expert on, on the CFTA, so we're very lucky uh, to have you here. Uh, and then we'll be um, uh, having two um, uh, comments, uh, uh, contrib contributions, uh, first of all from, uh, from Chi Atanga, who um, is a Commonwealth citizen, um, uh, uh, Cameroonian and, uh, uh, and UK. Uh, I say that because he's also a fellow um, uh, uh, committee member of the um, the, the APPG inquiry into the role of the Commonwealth uh, in, uh, in, in trade, uh, and we were hoping um, to publish a report in the coming few weeks. Uh, but he's also um, a co-founder of uh, an African fashion company, um, and uh, it's called Walls uh, of Benin, and you'll be talking a bit more on that, and also the, the issues that you face in terms of, um, uh, of trading with, uh, with Africa. Um, and then we'll be hearing from Abi Kadir, who is um, uh, who used to be at UNECA, but he's a, a distinguished academic here in the UK uh, at the University of uh, Sheffield and working on trade and industrial industrialization issues. Um, I will be asking um, the speakers, the panelists, to speak for about five to ten minutes um, each, and then. Uh, after that, there will be questions and answers, and, and, and we'll hope to involve you uh, and also the, uh, the audience online. Um, so without further ado, um, Linda, maybe you would provide um, an introduction to the, the report and what's in it and uh, what is smart about the trade policy uh, that we want to hear about uh, in the contribution to industrialization. Sure. Thank you very much, Dirk. Uh, I'm glad to be here today to be talking about this report on transforming African economies through smart trade and industrial policy. Uh, as Dirk mentioned, this is something that we have produced together with the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa. Um, and you can find some copies out here, and if not, um, it's, uh, it's available online. Both this report and a shorter policy brief that pulls out the main uh, points. Um, because we only have a short time today, I'm going to highlight some of the key points that we make in the report. Uh, but then you're welcome to read it. There's a lot of information and data and case studies in the report itself. So what I'm going to talk about today, I'm going to focus on three main points. The first one is why ha have we worked on this report? The second one is what's the current situation in Africa in terms of trade, trade policy and industrialization? And the final one is, based on this, what should we do to improve, to use trade policy in a smart way to promote industrialization? So very briefly, industrialization, Africa's experience with industrialization has been disappointing. Um, Africa's uh, manufacturing has declined, and this is across a range of dimensions. So both in terms of manufacturing value added as a share of GDP, this has declined since the 90s. Um, manufacturing goods as a share of Africa, like expo African exports have declined as well. As you can see in this graph, uh, the dark blue part there is manufacturing goods, and this uh, has declined. But also Africa's share of global manufacturing has declined. So across a number of dimensions, Africa's role in manufacturing has shrunk in the past few decades. But African countries, many countries 
uh, are aware that industrialization is important, and they are aware that this is a tool for them to achieve a number of policy objectives, a variety of policy objectives that can be improved trade balance in some cases, or it can be job creation and so on. So they understand that, um, and they want to use industrialization to achieve these policy objectives. Um, and this is happening, this, this sort of increased understanding is uh, not only taking place at the national level, but also at the regional level, we know of a number of regional economic communities that have industrialization strategies and policies, and also at the continental level, with, um, uh, at the African Union level. So this is uh, sort of a uh, current trend at the moment. So in 2015, um, UNICA's economic report on Africa was on industrializing through trade. And this report made the link between trade and trade policy and industrialization. And so with this report, we are trying to take those findings forward and we're trying to um, assess what trade policy is doing currently for industrialization in Africa and if not enough, what else could be done. So on my second, on my second point, on the current situation and existing challenges, there's a number of challenges on trade and trade policy on one side and industrialization on the other side. So the first ones, the first ones I want to highlight are internal challenges. Um, African countries have very high trading, face very high trading costs. Uh, the cost of moving goods, uh, moving both imports in in the countries, and then once some goods are once goods are produced to export in these goods are quite high, way higher than other regions, and this put African firms and it undermines the competitiveness of African firms because they face higher costs, and so it's difficult for them to compete with um, producers in other regions such as uh, South Asia or Southeast Asia, which do not face such high costs. Um, and the second challenge is the presence of high tariffs. And high tariffs not only, or not in general, but specifically what we want to highlight is the presence of high tariffs on intermediate, on capital goods uh, that are necessary for production. So as you can see here, Africa's imports of capital goods and intermediate goods are increasing, but most of these come from outside Africa. So if these tariffs are very high, this makes it more expensive. Um, this makes African goods uh, more expensive. And here we compare these tariffs uh, on a number of intermediate uh, goods uh, for Africa, East and Southeast Asia, and the rest of the world. And consistently, Africa's um, tariffs are higher, except in the food um, industry, uh, where Southeast Asia has higher tariffs. Um, so we've spoken about the internal challenges, but there are also some external challenges. Um, the first one is about, the first one I want to highlight is about uh, preferences. So preference granting countries define what um, products are going to be granted preferential access to their markets, but also the terms and conditions, the rules of origins, the standards. So in some cases, uh, these do not, these are not aligned with uh, productive capacities of African producers. So it might be difficult for them to produce according to the standards that are requested. And the second challenge is one of reciprocity. So existing um, uh, existing arrangement agreements, uh, such as uh, the EPA, the Economic Mar Partnership Agreements with the EU, call for greater reciprocity um, in the future. So they call for greater opening of the African market in exchange for an opening of the EU market. Um, and the African Growth and Opportunity Act, with, which is um, an, uh, an agreement with the US, 
uh, is going to expire in 2025, and this might be replaced by something that also calls for greater reciprocity, right? So in this sense, um, it might be a challenge for African countries, which might be faced with, um, which might be faced to a sudden um, competition from producers in other countries uh, because of this um, increased reciprocity. So, based on these points that I raised, um, what are re the recommendations? Um, so, the first one is about trade policy. So. We think that we believe that trade policy should be aligned with industrialization objectives, um, and it should be this should be done in a in a way that's uh, that make that brings industrialization at the core of trade policy, not only on paper but also in terms of implementation. <coughs> so, just to give you an example, uh, the East African Community has a tariff <coughs> structure that allows imports of intermediate and raw materials at lower tariffs, and this should induce production. <coughs> But what happens in, in practice is that goods that are used um, as inputs in the production process are actually taxed um, with higher rates because they are considered finished products. So if I'm a garment producer in, um, in Tanzania, for example, and I want to import labels or buttons for the shirts I'm making, these should be considered inputs and should be taxed at 10%, but sometimes they are considered finished products because they look like they are complete products, and they're taxed at 25%. So this makes me, as a producer, less competitive. So this is something that should be addressed. Um, in terms of trade agreements, these should also be aligned with industrialization objectives and should be sequenced um, in a smart way. So in a way that doesn't, that um, <coughs> decreases tariffs on import, in inputs and intermediate goods first. Uh, and then the reduction of trade cost is also crucial. So um, until uh, it's it's, it remains very costly to trade within Africa or uh, with Africa, then it's very unlikely that African firms are going to be very competitive on the global market. Um, and finally, these are the things that we can do with <coughs> trade, but there's a number of things that trade policy cannot do, it, but that still need to be addressed to promote industrialization. Um, and these are complementary measures that governments need to take care of. Um, building capacity and building skills for uh, for producers, providing infrastructure that allow uh, easier and cheaper transport of goods, and providing services which are crucial to the manufacturing sector. Um, so the obvious one are, of course, good transport and logistics and financial services, but there are also others such as professional services, um, accounting <coughs> and uh, legal services and so on, which are very important for the development of the manufacturing sector. So um, with these recommendations in mind, I think I've uh, concluded my presentation. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you very much. Good. Thank you very much. That's been very helpful. Thanks. That's great. Um, so the smart part of, uh, of trade policy is in uh, sort of alignment. It's in sequencing and the complementary um, measures. Um, and I think also reading through your report, it's around targeting sectors. So really uh, the smart targeting is important. Um, in, uh, afterwards, I'm going to ask you whether the, the ban on Mitumba is smart in that context, but that may be for, for, um, uh, for later. Very good. That's, that's good. We, we now go over to, um, uh, to David to be discussing um, the CFTA and to what extent that is helping uh, and consistent with uh, industrialization. Yeah. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and uh, this is a wonderful turnout, uh, and so thank you to everyone here for the interest uh, 
in the subject. Uh, let me also thank you, Dirk and ODI, for the uh, for collaborating on this project as well as uh, other things that we're doing together. We're uh, at UNECA. We're very appreciative of this. Um, of course, the subject that we're discussing uh, today is very much at the heart of uh, the current effort uh, to transform African economies um, to ensure uh, sustainable economic growth, uh, to impact uh, poverty reduction, to um, uh, make significant progress with the uh, SDGs. So it's very much at the heart of um, uh, current efforts and, and discussion. Um, and uh, uh, so the um, importance of industrialization and structural transformation is uh, growing um, in, in attention. It's uh, one of the uh, uh, four priorities, uh, for example, that the uh, new, uh, that the, uh, the um, uh, Kenyan uh, president has uh, established uh, following, his, uh, following the recent uh, election. And uh, in the report, we, um, and I think this is important so that we set out the par parameters. In the report, we um, define and uh, we understand economic transformation as the process of moving labor and other um, resources from lower productivity uh, to higher productivity activities and raising within sector productivity growth. So on the basis of this uh, definition uh, that we use in the report, um, we see economic uh, transformation as having two main components, within sector productivity growth and between sector uh, changes. And this is what then we refer to as uh, structural uh, transformation. Now, most of the recent uh, growth um, in African countries has been driven uh, by relatively high commodity uh, prices rather than within uh, sector productivity growth. And this is problematic since it raises issues of sustainability that risk leading to an eventual declining overall growth. So the African Union's Agenda 2063, the Africa we want, then emphasizes that the continent must move towards structural transformation, including agro-transformation. Uh, for job creation, in infrastructure uh, development, and, and poverty uh, reduction. The trade-related priorities of Agenda 2063 are clear. The agenda uh, calls for developing productive capacities, boosting intra-African trade, and the establishment of the African Continental Free Trade Area, uh, which is actually the first flagship uh, program of Agenda 2063. Now, this is to be supported by uh, a comprehensive program to boost intra-African trade. And these are some of the complementary measures that um, Linda highlighted. And there are seven key areas um, uh, for, uh, for, for this uh, program on, on boosting intra-African uh, trade, seven key uh, policy clusters on uh, trade-related infrastructure, trade facilitation, trade finance, trade information, uh, trade policy coherence, productive capacity, and factor mobility. So the essential principle at work here is that trade is predominantly between neighbors and, uh, need, and the need to tackle the ob obstacles to the growth of inter-African trade and reverse the distortions arising from the way Africa was inserted into the global economy uh, since the 16th century. Um, and indeed, African export markets are more diversified and industrialized and therefore offer significant op opportunity for industrial upgrading. So as highlighted in the report that uh, we are launching today, in 2014, manufactured goods accounted for 41.9% of inter-African exports, 
compared with only 14.8% of Africa's exports uh, outside the continent. So in the rest of my remarks, I'll outline the thinking on the role the, um, the continental free trade area could play in Africa's industrial development and provide a brief update on the um, CFTA process so far, what has been achieved, the challenges ahead, and the role ECA and um, uh, the uh, Trade Policy Center uh, at ECA uh, expects to play in meeting these uh, challenges. Um, so substantial strides have been made uh, to drive integration and industrialization at the level of the regional economic communities. But enhanced cooperation at continental level is now needed to scale up and provide the scale economies necessary to make African products and services globally competitive. So the CFTA negotiations, which were launched on the 15th of June 2015, is part of this uh, of the answer. The CFTA will create a single African market of 55 member states, comprising more than 1 billion people and with a total GDP of around 2.5 trillion. This promises to enable sufficient economies of scale, drive competitiveness, and attract significant investment into Africa. Ambitious tariff liberalization under the CFTA will boost incentives to um, source inputs and intermediates from within Africa, which is expected to support the expansion of, of the manufacturing sector and enhance productivity of African goods and, and services. Uh, this is needed for the development of competitive regional value chains and to better position the continent uh, to integrate into global value chains and, and benefit from the global trading system. The, co the col collaboration and cooperation of the regional economic communities uh, through the CFTA should also help to accelerate progress in regional projects aimed at unlocking the binding constraints to inter-African trade and industrialization. So ECA modeling uh, exercises indicates that establishing the CFTA would boost inter-African trade by 52.3%. Estimated increases are highest for industrial products, 53.3%, and substantially higher with um, supportive trade facilitation measures. Oh, the um, CFTA then is considered as a major pillar for Africa's industrialization and the African countries recognize the role the CFTA can play in achieving uh, their industrial development aspirations. And uh, the, um, uh, the provisions are being built into the agreement that are cons consistent with the imperative of industrial development building on the current trade-led industrialization objectives of the regional economic communities. The industrial pillar of the uh, CFTA is expected to enhance industry and enterprise level competitiveness through exploiting skill economies, reducing business costs and enhancing market access, improve the allocation of resources, support the development of trade-related infrastructure, overcome dependence on the export of primary products and support the development of uh, competitive agribusinesses and, and reduce the continent's food import uh, bill. The scope of the CFT agreement currently covers trading goods, trading services, investment, intellectual property rights, and competition policy, and is expected to be expanded to include e-commerce. The wide scope reflects the importance African leaders attach to using the CFTA as a vehicle for promoting industrialization and developing uh, regional value chains. As highlighted in the report, inclusion of trade services of trading services is crucial to reducing 
inter-African trade costs and developing competitive uh, African industries. The CFTA will also help to address some key challenges to improving Africa's business environment, including non-tariff barriers, trade harmonization, customs cooperation, and trade facilitation. Now, what uh, progress has been made uh, in the negotiation process so far? So since the launch of the negotiations, uh, the progress um, uh, has uh, resulted in the conclusion of the first phase of the uh, negotiations, which, as I said, cover trading services and trading goods. Uh, the AUC, um, uh, the African Union Commission, which is leading the uh, process, um, has, uh, uh, um, uh, we have seen the uh, uh, refinement and amendment of a series of, uh, through a series of negotiating rounds on the uh, text that have uh, been used for the, um, for the negotiations. The um, uh, CFT agreement, uh, which has been uh, approved, uh, also establishes uh, governance structures and other institutional arrangements, as well as the protocol on um, trading in services. An ambitious target of 90% trade uh, tariff liberalization has been agreed, with the remaining 10% uh, accounted by exclusionist and sensitive items to be determined on a bilateral uh, basis. Uh, the African Ministers of Trade tasked negotiators to complete their outstanding work on trading goods and on dispute settlement by March this year. Uh, much of this work on trade remedies, simplified rules of origin, uh, applicable, which would be applicable on entry into force of the agreement, um, uh, is uh, now being worked on. Uh, the dispute settlement uh, aspect of the agreement has been completed. Uh, the final round of negotiations, the 10th round, is planned for early March to uh, finalize the text on, on goods. And uh, the um, AU summit uh, in January this year agreed to um, uh, have an extraordinary summit to sign the agreement on the 21st of, um, on the 21st of March. So in, in some what I'm saying here is that the uh, CFT agreement uh, covering services, uh, covering goods um, and all the technical issues relating to rules of origin, um, uh, dispute settlement, trade remedies, uh, these have been uh, uh, completed. Now, uh, the next phase, uh, and I'll end with this, the next phase of the negotiations will deal with the outstanding subjects, uh, which include, um, uh, as I said, intellectual property, competition policy, um, and uh, investment, and possibly also e-commerce. And uh, we at uh, ECA will continue to work with the uh, AUC to support the uh, next phase of the, um, uh, of, of the, of the negotiations. We are developing a, a tool, a sort of scorecard on implementing the CFTA, which we would use to see how well um, African countries are doing uh, in terms of implementing the agreement, in terms of tracking uh, the benefits uh, from the uh, agreement. And uh, doing this uh, not so much um, only from the point of view of uh, compliance with the agreement, but um, also to see um, uh, what uh, development benefits, uh, especially as it relates to this overarching, uh, this overarching uh, emphasis on industrial development, uh, is is concerned. Uh, so I'll stop here, um, and uh, of course we will be able to come back. Uh, okay. Yeah. Very good. Thanks. Um, just when and where will the CFTA be launched? 
uh, in Kigali uh, on March 21st. So that's, that's pretty soon. You make it sound very, very straightforward and easy process, isn't it? So that, uh, on theory, this is all, um, uh, this is what's going to happen. And, uh, and I suppose some of it is happening. So I was, I was last week in, in, uh, in Kenya and Tanzania, and there is, there is sort of trade between the countries, a lot. Uh, there are value chains, but there are also trade spats. And even within a, within a, a customs union, uh, there are problems, um, and they've got divergent um, external tariffs and so on. So there's quite a lot of challenges on the ground. But let's, let's discuss that, uh, that, that in a minute. Thanks for this, this update. That's very helpful. Um, let's now go to, um, to, uh, to uh, discussions. And you've got a presentation. Chi, over to you. Thank you very Oops, much. Sorry. There you go. No, that's, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. Okay. That's fine. Um, we'll leave it there for now. So um, I'm not uh, an economist. I, I work in fashion and, and textiles. And when I want to be more poetic, I say I work at the intersection of fashion, creativity, policy, and trade and development. I consider myself um, uh, an African industrialist. I'm absolute in my mission and vision to create social and economic value in with Africa. Now, I, I chose fashion, which is, of course, uh, relative to uh, manufacturing, because in developing nations, after agriculture, fashion, uh, sorry, manufacturing is the um, uh, largest employer of, of people. It, it's, it, it requires a higher uh, order of uh, magnitude vis-a-vis -vis inputs, outputs, which is what we want. And unlike homogenous crops, with, uh, with fashion, there's the... Um, the um, opportunity for Africanness to be a, a USP. So that's, that's where I am. Um, so, um, you'll have to excuse me. So uh, I started the, the company in 2015, um, raised a, a grant from the Portuguese government, went through uh, an accelerator program for creative companies with global potential, and now I'm raising finance to launch African production. I have uh, the, the value chain set up and some great partners in Kenya. Um, so Kenya's the, the focus of, of my, uh, my brief talk. Now, according to the, um, the head of HIVOS, East Africa, Kenya, the, the Kenyan manufacturing uh, industry has the potential to create 300,000 jobs. They're currently at about 39,000. That's a, that's a big disparity. Why? What do we need to do to create the 300,000 jobs? What's the solution? I believe part of the solution is smart industrial policy, which I'm going to refer to as SIP from now on, just to be, to be brief. Um, so what is, uh, what is, what is SIP? What, what is that? Um, well, I'll start off by defining what it's, what it's not. It's not blanket, general, enabling policy. It's not a goer. It's not EBA. I mean, they're helpful, but if it were that simple, then um, the, the Kenyan, Kenyan exports would have been completely transformed instead of actually dropping in real terms. SIP is its bespoke. It's smart. It, is, it requires different 
agents involved in the process from the, the government to the private sector, they need to work together very closely. And I think that the governments should um, be very uh, instrumental in helping to create success stories. In terms of manufacturing, I'd like to cite um, the um, example of Helen High with CNH in, uh, I'm seeing some smiles, uh, with CNH in, um, in Kigali. There was a lot of help from the government in, in setting things up. Um, so, SIP, um, to conclude that point, SIP requires focus, master plans, plans within the plans, and uh, it requires a lot of uh, focus and attention from the government. Okay, so now I'll draw your attention to... Um, so these are, are three ideas that I had specifically focusing on Kenya. It, um, three suggestions for smart industrial policy. So um, there are some numbers there, but the, the, the meta point is that even at full capacity, I think there's something like 52 uh, fabric mills in, in Kenya. Um, only 10 of them are in operation, and they're running at 45%. But even if they were all working at full capacity, there still wouldn't be enough supply to, um, to satisfy even the local market, never mind um, exports. So that means... Um, fabric is coming from outside, it, it must, uh, certainly for exports, 95% of the exported uh, textiles are coming from outside. So what would be a smart solution? Would it make sense for the government to um, partner with another uh, government and offer extra incentives for, um, for preferences on the proviso that that um, partner country would provide, um, would potentially invest further down the road in manufacturing, in helping to build up the, the Kenyan uh, industry. Um, certainly, they would be expected to share uh, knowledge and, and know-how. The second um, um, smart uh, industrial policy uh, idea or suggestion that I had is uh, in in regard to finance, which is, of course, uh, a major issue and, and, and stumbling block for many um, companies, especially at the SME level. Now, um, uh, a study was um, uh, took place in, in Kenya, and uh, some SMEs were, were interviewed, and 87% of the SMEs used retained capital to finance operations. Very, very difficult. Things move very, very slowly. Um, on that basis. 35% used capital from friends and family. 19% used credit from um, um, suppliers and such. And 9%, only 9% used institutional capital. I believe that the, the government should make public funds available uh, for the manufacturing sector, specifically for SMEs, just like the Portuguese do. And I raise the grant from the Portuguese government, just like the, um, the British government does. In fact, the British, it's quite interesting, the British government for the first time have made a grant available to the, man the textile manufacturing industry and exports have, uh, have increased. Surprise, surprise. The, uh, the last um, point I, I raised, so uh, this is, um, by the way, does anyone know the, the, the sexiest industry in Europe? 
Uh, apparently, it's the, uh, well, it says it right there. Apparently, the Portuguese shoe industry is the sexiest industry in Europe. And the, the point I'm making is that uh, there needs to be organization to really uh, develop the, the industry and to develop exports. The Portuguese and the, the British have several um, industrial bodies that, in the context of fashion, will help uh, companies reach new markets. They'll provide information which are the fairs to go to, and they'll partly finance those those trips. That doesn't exist in Kenya. In order to boost exports and to build the industry, that is that's needed. So there's a lack of coordination. There's no strong uh, governmental or non-governmental body, and that is is needed to uh, to develop the the industry. Mm-hmm. So that's um, very, very brief, some, uh, some thoughts from, uh, from my experience and, and my perspective, and I'll be sharing a lot more on, uh, on Twitter at uh, CK Atanga, CK underscore Atanga. Okay, thank you, Chief. I mean, I speak, uh, I suppose, about Kenya, um, and as you, um, uh, as you mentioned, David, was that uh, sort of the, the new president, uh, uh, Kenyatta, has uh, said that the, uh, the manufacturing sector is, is one of the four priorities, of sort of the big four, of uh, thinking about rolling it out. And I was also, I'd also visited uh, one, of the, one of the promising garments firms um, in, uh, in, in Kenya last, last week. And I think the issue of finance also, also did come up, actually. So uh, previously, they were relying on capital from other countries. Um, but the, the commercial sector um, doesn't necessarily understand the garment sector. And so how do no. you, how do you get, get credit? Uh, and and in, in Asian countries, they understand it better. Um, how, and, and there was a gap, basically. And, uh, and there was a discussion also with maybe there's a role for development finance institutions to be thinking more around supporting the manufacturing sector. And a, and a, a development finance institution like a DEG in Germany, about 20% of its portfolio is in the manufacturing sector. Whereas, for example, here in the CDC, it's, so far it's only 2%, 2%. But I think they have plans to... Um, uh, to increase it, so there there isn't there is an issue around around financing, and, and, and they wanted to expand. They were like a booming company. Uh, within one year, they had 40 million uh, US dollars worth of exports, um, employing six uh, four thousand people. So there, there there was there are some success stories, but there a lot it, it needs to happen still to Absolutely. transform the uh, from the economy. So there are some issues, some very useful practical issues there that you highlighted. So um, Abik, um, over to you for the final set of comments before okay. we go to the audience. Yeah, uh, thank you very much for inviting me and uh, reuniting me with my former colleague from ECA. Uh, I would uh, start to give uh, a very, very brief uh, background into the whole discussion uh, and also some uh, reflections I have on the uh, report. Uh, I like the point that you made about the sexiest industry in Portugal. I think the sexiest industry in Africa is the shoe industry in Ethiopia. <laughs> because well my be. country is Ethiopia. <laughs> and uh, Ethiopia is smart in uh, more or less in the last 15 years. It showed that it can be moving from nowhere to somewhere uh, because it is making a, a lot of good progress. Uh, I say this because uh, I want to relate it to smart policy in the context that it picked a, compar- a competitive advantage that it has in terms of being the largest cattle, uh, owning the largest cattle in the continent and using that as uh, a very, very good uh, input into the f- 
shoe processing uh, plants that we have in the industrial uh, parks. Now I'm not speaking as an official, I'm not speaking as a UN official, I'm not speaking as a, an Ethiopian official, but uh, as an academic. Uh, let me just give you the following brief background uh, of the optimism that I have when it comes to industrialization through uh, trade. Uh, when I joined the ECA in 2014, uh, I was tasked to coordinate the economic report on Africa, particularly focusing on industrialization, starting from uh, actually, ECA started it before I joined. Uh, ECA was uh, banging drums about uh, industrialization in 2013, 14, 15, 16, and 17 was uh, greening industrialization. So the environment element was also uh, included. Uh, so that really makes me uh, optimistic about putting industrialization on the map because the whole continent, no, the whole planet was thinking that Africa cannot industrialize. You just specialize on agriculture, and that is not true. Uh, another important aspect that we see in terms of the economic history of African economies is that structural uh, uh, transformation has taken place. That means relative importance of agriculture declined and the service sector expanded. Therefore, we really missed uh, the ship to uh, industrialize in between, and we have the fastest urbanization without industrialization. But now we are moving into uh, this policy drive, linking trade policy with industrialization and linking industry with agriculture, uh, linking uh, trade with foreign direct investment because without foreign direct investment, you don't have the internal capacity or uh, the complexity of the products that you can produce and sell to the rest of the world. Uh, therefore, uh, the case can be made by instituting smart trade policies, we can uh, really promote industrialization within uh, the, the continent and the globe. But there are challenges. Uh, some of the challenges that are not highlighted in the report are, for instance, there are very, very powerful protectionist policies uh, against Africa's uh, industrialization efforts uh, globally. Uh, subsidy is one example, uh, for instance, the common agricultural policy of the United, uh, the European Union. Uh, I, I say I will be speaking my mind, therefore, recently, for instance, CAP is in trouble because the UK is pulling out of European Union, and this has been discussed. Uh, is that an opportunity for Africa? I think we can sit and debate that. Uh, in terms of opportunities, uh, or let me go back to this smart policy. What is smart about the trade policies that uh, Africa can do? Uh, I think some of them were already uh, discussed. Uh, the one was raised by uh, David uh, on industrialization being related to trade, because in the past, trade was not really linked with industry development within the continent. The second was mentioned by Chi, uh, which is like the government support for the private sector, which was missing, and some, Industrializers have already done some great work, which we can really learn from uh, Mauritius, for instance. There was a very good interdependence between the private sector and the government, even the government promoting and funding trade shows for small and medium enterprises. Uh, the, the good news maybe for some countries, such as Ethiopia, is that the, fr the finance minister, Abraham, uh, is very keen on SMEs because he did his PhD on SMEs. And 
Not because he did his PhD on SMEs, because from economic development, we know that growth, use employment, and transformation of economies is anchored on the development of small and medium enterprise. So Africa should be serious about supporting SMEs. Another work that I did for the World Bank at some point in the past, in my previous life as an academic before I joined the United Nations, was on foreign direct investment and trade logistics. Uh, now, many African countries are trying to attract foreign direct investment. And there are also improvements in, on ease of doing business. The biggest investor, I think it is not a surprise, is China, for instance, in Ethiopia, or in some of the African countries. This is good because most of the industrial parks are populated by firms which are market-seeking, which are also help us to market uh, light manufacturing items in the context of rising light manufacturing costs uh, of uh, Chinese uh, production. Uh, but there is a catch. Uh, foreign direct investment doesn't just come because uh, you have agawa access and to take advantage of that. Uh, you have to have a very good human development in place to attract foreign direct investment. I say that because the Chinese foreign direct investment report in 2013 uh, indicated or highlighted one big constraint for them not to go to some parts of Africa is because of uh, poor labor quality. You go to places to save on labor costs, but eventually if you had to send the workforce to Beijing for training, you are not going to save on labor costs. Therefore, that is part of the homework that Africa should do in terms of really building a very good uh, human capital there. So that is a smart. If you have a good, uh, affordable, educated labor force, uh, th that is smart. Uh, I think in terms of whether there is demand, I think in my sleep that is always what I ask. Is there really demand for the products of Africa? Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll say more uh, at some point. Okay. Very good, thanks. Um, so this has been a really, really good um, uh, overview of, uh, of what's in the report um, and also about what is smart uh, around this. So um, uh, alignment or just linking trade and, and industrial development is an important part of that. Um, not just trade tariffs for revenue raising, but think, think about the, the industrialization component of this. Sequencing was mentioned. Government support. So I, I suppose we need to think about what is appropriate support there. Um, you mentioned green issues as well. Um, but at the same time, uh, it may not always be happening, and there might be some individual uh, issues where it is happening. So Ethiopia is, is an, an example. Uh, this one firm that we saw we saw in in Kenya, uh, it's not happening. You mentioned already there's the protectionism uh, around uh, the corner, whether it is the common agriculture policy or the, the sort of the, the the lobbies that that led to to Brexit and uh, and the US uh, in terms of externally. But the same happens, of course, internally as well. So that the, the trade spats that I was referring to, the, uh, um, the Tanzania is, is increasing its tariffs on, on Kenyan products, for example. The, um, so so that, that is also the reality on the ground as well. So that's also something we, we need to be discussing. And there are the, the other issues that are coming up, like the Mitumba and so on. But I'd like to, um, to get the audience in first. Um, and, uh, and we'd like to sort of see um, in terms of a range of questions, and I'll, I'll just going around uh, the floor if I see any uh, uh, are there any women who 
would like to. <laughs> right. Very good. There you go. Uh, lady over there first, and then there. Thanks very much for the for the interesting talk. I had two brief questions. The first one is about um, sensitive products in trade agreements like the EPA. To what extent are these lists of sensitive products sufficient uh, for protecting industries? How are they decided? And can we trust that, for example, the agricultural sector is ready to compete um, in a reciprocal relationship with the EU? The second question is about the costs of industrialization, specifically on uh, the domestic market. So. There was a scholar, I can't remember his name, who in the 80s talked about immiserizing export-led growth, this idea that uh, terms of trade might decline faster than uh, purchasing power increases. Is there a possibility that there might be a trade-off between industrialization and the food security or the purchasing power needs of, of the local population? Thanks. Okay, very good. Over. Thank you very much. My name is Valerie Milan with the International Growth Center here in London. Um, I also have two questions. I hope you don't mind me piling them on. Um, surely one of the aspects of smart industrial policy also means that it has to be bespoke, um, as you mentioned. Um, and we obviously find various different African countries are at various different stages of development, both with regards to development as a whole, but also with regards to their manufacturing sector. Um, and so what can be done specifically to support um, the bespoke needs or the individual needs of, of, of countries at various different stages in the process? That's question one. Um, and then secondly, I'd like to hear the panel's view on the um, everlasting debate with regards to how much should one uh, look at specific industries to support with industrial policy versus sort of more um, enabling environment type factors um, that might um, benefit all industries um, and where the market can choose which, um, which sectors and industries grow the most or benefit the most. Okay, very good. And I think there was a, a gentleman here who was, was first, I think, yeah. <laughs> Uh, my name is Mubin Rafiq. I'm Managing Director, Micro, Small, Medium Enterprises, UK. Uh, I heard and I just want to, realizing some problem which you were discussing about textile and uh, employment generation, I have a 40 years manufacturing experience and from a family who's been into industry for the last 100 years. Now, I'm, uh, Pakistan is my base and Bangladesh. I just want to give you an example that, look, you just mentioned that you want to come up with 300,000 jobs and things like that. If you, if you go back to, I'll just give you a quick example, uh, Bangladesh, there are what, 4 million women working in garment industry. So it's not a big deal. The easiest thing you can do to create more jobs there very fast is to get into either textile city or textile villages. You can start off with garment industry which is which requires more fabric the second step would be get into weaving industry by the way i used to manufacture looms in pakistan so i know more so i was in a place which is called site where engineering industry and textile industry is the is the center so i know exactly what we went through because I started in 1977 there, and that was a time that we were going into deletion programs, expansion, so I was there, and I developed 70% Fiat tractor, 
over a period of 25 years in, in Pakistan. And then I was manufacturing textile machinery and I was involved into textile and the whole area was textile. So you can learn a lot from countries like that, people from there. And uh, it's, it's, it's not that depressing, but you know, there are people there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I've got um, one question, the first question online, and it's for Chi from Michelle Sifunga. Um, do you intend to grow your business into other markets, and what part of countries are you working with in Africa, and if any, um, is, uh, is one question. Very good. So we've got some questions okay. around, um, uh, and I'd like to go to the panel, maybe David first and then, and then Linda, um, about sensitive products and reciprocity, uh, about the cost of industrialization, what is smart, uh, smart industrialization that bespoke needs, uh, and about targeting industries uh, first enabling environment. And maybe also something that Abi can, can look at as well. And something about the textile yeah. industry in particular. So maybe David, do you sure. like to go first? Uh, you know, trade, of course, uh, takes place within a political economies and uh, context. And um, part of the buy-in to trade agreements is um, for uh, policymakers to have some assurance that uh, they can protect uh, certain sectors, certain policies, uh, certain products, uh, and, and so on. So that's uh, what's behind uh, sensitive uh, uh, products. Uh, how are they decided? Uh, well, they have to be decided politically what it, it is that uh, a government wishes uh, to, to support. But we should not uh, uh, laugh off uh, sensitive um, uh, products because um, it's becoming clear and clear that uh, uh, in order to get buy into trade agreements, you do need uh, to give policymakers some comfort as to what it is um, uh, they're getting into, uh, their tolerance for liberalization and, 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 and so on. Um, so, uh, you know, whether it's in the EPAs or in the um, Continental Free Trade Area Agreement, has uh, been scoped for, um, for, uh, for, for sensitive uh, uh, products. Um, uh, but, you know, the trick would be that over time to look to see, um, uh, you know, what could be done to further liberalize or uh, deal with inefficiencies that uh, uh, arise around sensitive uh, products. Uh, but, but clearly they cannot be... Um, uh, they cannot be wished away. Um, I don't know if you want me to tackle anything else. Well, why don't we first go to, uh, to, to uh, maybe uh, Linda for the, the question maybe on targeting uh, industries. So yeah. the, there was a discussion about uh, enabling environment versus um, targeting specific industries. And I noticed that in the report you had a, a chapter specifically on the importance of targeting industries. So what, what, what do you mean by that? And uh, and why do you think that is is helpful? I mean, I think, and this is somehow linked to the question of bespoke um, support by government and so on. Um, maybe I can give you an example. I uh, It's an example of Rwanda. So I used to work in Rwanda with the IGC, actually. Um, and Rwanda has done a lot to improve its enabling environment and to make it uh, easy for all firms to sort of invest and grow and, and export. Um, however, it seems to me that the most effective um, policies that the government of Rwanda has put in place are when they started focusing on selected sectors and deciding that this is the sector we want to to promote for job creation, for, for, for exports and so on and so forth, and we are going to do whatever it takes to bring this sector to, um, to success. Um, and the case of um, the textile sector, for example, is, um, is particularly interesting because the government of Rwanda has worked closely with Helen High, which was mentioned already, to set up a garment factory there, which employs a, quite a large number of people. So 
it seems to me that um, the sort of the, the, the targeting is what actually brings investors in the country and it's what actually makes makes it work way more than just creating an enabling environment, which of course is important, right? Because if you cannot um, register your investment, if you cannot uh, trade and cross the borders easily, then you're going to have a lot of uh, problems and you're going to have a lot of additional costs. But it seems to me like a targeted um, policy is what uh, works best. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Chief. Um, so the, there are a couple of points I'd like to address. Uh, the gentleman from SME UK. Um, I think, uh, like me, you have the tendency to make the complex uh, simple and uh, <laughs> with a very pragmatic spirit, which I, I agree with. And there are lots of models of, of success that do um, need to be appropriated and, uh, and, and learned from. However, there, there are some constraints. So, for instance, in, in Kenya, you have um, a very high electricity cost. I think the, the notion of textile clusters would be more appropriate for Ethiopia, where the, the cost of electricity is three times lower, and it's actually it's happening. Um, so that was the, the first um, point. Um, there was a question online. Uh, yeah. I think the lady asked, um, do I intend to grow the business? Exactly, which, and, which market, uh, which partners? Okay, um, do I intend to grow the business? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. The, 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 the vision for growth is to, um, the plan for Walls of Benin is to build the company into a globally distributed African trademark. And the plan to grow beyond that is to acquire other brands in this space to create uh, a, a, an African LVMH, if you, if you like, an asset more valuable than the sum of its parts, a company that owns other brands and trademarks. Uh, that's a very big vision, and so it's necessary to be focused and very specific and, and, uh, and um, intentional. And so I'm very much focused on working with Kenya However, uh, one of um, our fellow committee members is um, uh, a director at DHL, and we've been discussing partnering with DHL, and they have um, great contacts in Rwanda, and the Rwandan government are very keen to support um, textile <coughs> manufacturing and such. So potentially Rwanda next. Okay, very good. Abi. Okay. Uh, I think I would like to go back to the first question and uh, just to make some contributions to, towards that. Uh, the first one was, I think you may, you said, is Africa ready to compete with the European Union in terms of agricultural exports? Even if we are talking about industrialization here, I think agro-processing can be a, a component that we should discuss at some point. But going back to your question, uh, I think, yes, uh, I, I was in discussion with the East African uh, uh, community economists recently, and they have signed up to the SPS uh, of the European Union, uh, Sanitation and Photosanitary uh, Standards and Certification. And when I walked to Coop supermarket the, the other week, I saw uh, some agricultural products from Kenya. Therefore, I think we are processing and respecting certification standards that Europe requires. Uh, to, to populate the market. That is one uh, evidence uh, which tallies with what <coughs> the economists from the East African community t told me. So I think I should say Africa is ready. Uh, I, I think you can sense optimism already now. A in terms of the 
trade-off between industrialization and food security. Uh, I think you highlighted the weakness of some of the industrialization drive that is existing in the continent because it is not strongly linked with agriculture. Uh, therefore, the agricultural-led industrialization strategy laid out by some countries is an example to follow. The second point I have is, I think, on the question from the, uh, the colleague from ODI. Uh, am I right? You asked that, can we leave this enabling environment uh, to the market, or can we trust the market? Yeah. I think industrialization is so dear to leave it to the market. That is my view. Therefore, there is a need for government intervention. That's why trade, trade policy is designed by government, supported and facilitated by governments. Mm -hmm. So there is a role for government intervention. Okay. Um, that leads me into this question uh, online, which I also um, already sort of anticipated around Mintumba, uh, which is from uh, Patrick Katabasi. He's Ugandan, but he's online from Ireland. And he says, one of the key exports from Africa, particularly Uganda, is textiles. As part of the wider reforms to boost the textile industry in East African region, East African Summit of Heads of State passed a resolution to ban limit importation of used clothes over a period of four years. Now, when countries move ahead with this strategy, the USA is alleged to be threatening these countries with retaliation should they go ahead. What advice would you have for African policymakers in this area? So this is a live issue. Over the last uh, two weeks or the last week, US has sent this ultimatum. So what, uh, what advice would you have? What analysis would you provide? What, 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 as a researcher, what, what would you say? Uh, David, maybe you first, and then, then maybe everybody in the panel. Yeah, I, I think the African government's uh, concerned have already uh, decided what it is they're going to do. Um, Kenya um, uh, has uh, retracted uh, from uh, the, uh, um, you know, from, uh, you know, the agreement within the East African community to ban uh, use uh, clothes. But uh, Rwanda, Uganda, and Tanzania have, have not. Burundi, which is the other member, is um, uh, under sanctions, so is you know is not affected uh, one way or the other uh, by this uh, decision at, uh, of at, in the U.S. Um, so you know, in other, in other words, the governments have decided. Uh, but um, you know, from the point of view of um, you know, from the point of view of economic analysis, the um, original decision of the East African community surely is the right one. Uh, that is that uh, if you want to grow your um, domestic industry, you need to look at uh, uh, what uh, the um, overall factors that could undermine your um, uh, the, the competitiveness of your own industry. So it's uh, I think it's a no-brainer. Um, in terms of the decision that was taken. Kenya, of course, um, needs to be sensitive uh, to um, uh, the, its access to the uh, U.S. markets, uh, given the wide, wider range of uh, products that Kenya is exporting uh, to, the, to, to the U.S. So, um, yeah, as I say, no brainer. I actually beg to disagree. <laughs> I mean, I think this is a very complex issue, and I think, like, I think the... Um, the intention is good. The intention to promote the textile and the textile and garment sector is the right one, is the correct one. 
However, there are consequences to these choices. So in the short term, you are going to affect people who buy this secondhand clothing the most, so probably the poorest people in these countries. In the long term, to develop the, the garment and textile sector, you still need all these policies that we talked about, so aligned trade policy, um, trade agreements, but also complementary policies. So the, the sort of like um, banning secondhand clothing only will not necessarily help you grow in the long term unless you have all the other factors, right? And it feels to me like there is an expectation that we ban secondhand clothing and then our industry will grow, our garment industry will grow. And to me, this is not correct. Um, and finally, I think I'm worried that this might be sending the wrong signal in the sense that secondhand clothing are consumed domestically. So it's like we are inviting garment producers to replace this uh, import with domestic production. However, I think East African countries should actually focus on exporting garment and textile. And so they should be looking at a market that's quite different from what the secondhand clothing is now mm -hmm. feeling. Okay. Two economists, two views. You're another economist, aren't no, you? No, but I, but I do have an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's a very contentious issue. Um, uh, David's point reminded me of the fact that it's a bit awkward for the East African community. You've got Kenya that has taken a position and the other countries that are, are going the other way, it appears. Um, but ultimately, I have to say that I agree with Linda. I think the, the past is very informative and this import substitution occurred in Latin America and it, it didn't work. And ultimately, I think the people at the um, who benefit from the, the second-hand clothes are going to be feeling the, the, the pinch as they'll have the choice between uh, the um, new imports or new expensive clothing that's domestically made. I think that the uh, the government should really busy themselves on uh, creating an environment that makes the domestic producers uh, more competitive. Okay. Bobby. Okay. Uh, okay, maybe a third view from another <laughs> economist. <laughs> uh, I think uh, this is based on, or the decision should be based on analysis. I think the first thing that governments consider is, uh, uh, is whether, what are they going to lose if they lose preferences, access to uh, the US market? And wh what are they going to benefit if they ban and develop uh, internal markets? There is a lot of work in this area already, and there is no consensus. So that is a third view. So it is not purely Linda's or Chi's view, or it is not purely uh, David's view. Uh, if you look at what, for instance, it is not only about accessing the uh, U.S. market, which really matters. For instance, they say or they give you the access to their markets free of tariff. Is tariff the most binding constraint for trade? But you have to compare the constraints coming from the non-tariff barriers as well as the, the tariff barriers. Not necessarily. For instance, Japan gives you a zero tariff access to the market, and many countries which jumped on the chance to take advantage of these uh, preferences didn't benefit. Mainly this resu result suggests that non-tariff barriers are more uh, prevalent. So everything depends on the evidence, and we have to go to our basement and do more research mm -hmm. on preferences data at the product level, which we haven't done.
The US has given us a week. <laughs> a week <yes. laughs> um, okay, let's go back to the uh, to the audience. I think a uh, gentleman and, and and two ladies there, and then then here. Hi, my name is Peter Harrington. I'm from the Harvard Center for International Development. Um, so I think it's really it makes sense to me that the the kind of focus of this of this discussion is actually on industrial policy rather than trade policy and smart industrial policy because I think smart trade policy is really an instrument of smart industrial policy. So I'm, I'm glad you kind of gave a sip, and I think that's kind of behind what everyone has been saying. Um, and it makes, and I fully agree with the point about targeting. I mean, we've been, you know, doing work and writing about targeting in Sri Lanka, and 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 you know, countries are doomed to choose. So, so I think that's that's a crucial part of it. I think there are two problems um, with this. One is um, the the you know, if we all agree, or you know, many of us agree that government has to take a active and interventionist approach. The first question is, on what basis do you target? How do you choose the sectors to target? And that's actually quite complicated and what you tend to see is uh, governments using a kind of beneficiation mindset and and I and I, I would I would challenge and question whether that's the right mindset and I'd like to hear the panel's thoughts on that so firstly you know you know what's that methodology the second problem is smart industrial policy is actually really hard to do it's really really hard to do and uh, a lot of governments whether in the developing world or the industrial world actually lack the capability to do really smart industrial policy so how do you tackle that problem that capability gap um, of, of, of actually doing it, let alone before you even get to the identifying the kind of toolkit of interventions that you know that, um, that you gave some examples for. Thanks. Okay, in front of you here. Yeah. Hi, I had a, David, um, a question for David. So you mentioned the CFTA toolkit that will measure the benefits of that. I wanted to ask you to elaborate a little bit more on that about what the indicators you'll use and what that will look like. Okay, behind you, actually, then... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. That's right. then Hello, my name is uh, Uzo Oune. I'm the CEO of uh, Ingo UK. Uh, we'll focus on Africa development. Uh, I want to hear the panel's view on the uh, points raised by the gentleman from Ethiopia about taking uh, people to China. And uh, Chi is talking about the effort to grow the garment industry in Africa. But... A place like Aba in Nigeria is huge on garment and textile. And I'm wondering how you're working within the continent to compare experiences of those sectors that are succeeding and see what experiences to learn from and then grow. Because the emphasis on looking out outside the continent without looking much in, I mean, uh, within <coughs> is also posing some I mean, uh, disconnect within the efforts of African economies in terms of pushing growth. Uh, secondly, I want to cl clarify, what do you mean by sensitive products? Thank you. Okay, and then Leila here. Hi, my name is Olga. I work um, for cybersecurity for Cargill Corporation. And two questions. Um, first one, in the spirit of increasing competitiveness for domestic producers, would you say that you have the same opinion going back to the agricultural sector in terms of supporting small or medium-sized farmers locally instead of relying on big industrial agriculture. And my second question is, for any of these policies when it comes to implementation, how do you ensure that um, the policies trickle down to the most poor population such that if development does end up progressing 
how does that not widen the poverty gap and then potentially lead to further inequality? Okay, uh, Max. Thank you, Max Mendepara from ODI. Uh, this is not the first time that is attempt to use trade for uh, promote industrialization. So based on the case of Latin America in the 50s and the 60s and the previous Africa uh, 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 attempts to industrialize, what are the don'ts in terms of having a smart trade policy? What are the things that shouldn't be attempted? Hmm. What is not smart? <laughs> very good. I think the, the lady here on the right, and then we go back to the panel. Thank you very much for the, the interesting uh, uh, discussion. I'm from University College London. I'm at the moment researching the China's uh, investment in Africa, especially for those industrial zones and industrial parks. So um, I think at the moment I'm very concerning about the linkage between those industry parks and uh, the local backward and forward linkage, as well as those knowledge spillovers. So what do you think in the future something can be done from both sides mm -hmm. to strengthen this uh, linkage yeah. between China and Africa in terms of this uh, yeah. spatial industrial in, uh, strategy? Yeah. We hope to come to others in a minute. I think that's an, that's an interesting question, exactly, sort of the, what are the linkages uh, in terms of industrial parks with the rest of the economy. And in, yes. in China, it's been going very successfully. And then uh, how does that work in, in, in African countries? And um, that's, that's an important question. There are a range of questions here. You don't have to answer all of them. Um, but they are uh, around um, uh, sort of analysis. How do you choose? What, what, is, what are the right sectors? What are the sort of the types of analysis that you can, you can use? And uh, I mean, this, this meeting is organized, co-organized by the Supporting Economic Transformation Program, which um, has a range of techniques to think around where you, is your biggest bang for the buck, whether you can use a household product space analysis or multiplier analysis or a range of others to think about what are some, some of the technically um, uh, smart uh, issues, but I think we need to also think about uh, implementation capacity as well. Those, those, there were questions there. Uh, a question about CFTA scorecard um, uh, and, and questions around what is not smart. So, what, what, what are sort of things, the type of trade policy that that have been used for uh, for industrialization that are not smart? Maybe we should go to David first, um, and uh, and then again we go to the panel. And then maybe one final round after that. I'll keep it in two or three minutes, maybe. Sure, yeah. Um, on the scorecard, uh, you know, of course, the number of um, indexes that are already out there, where there's the uh, services uh, restriction index, the uh, doing business index, um, the uh, World Economic Forum, uh, etc. Um, what we're doing is uh, we're looking to see how to customize what's already out there uh, for the CFTA. Um, and essentially, that's how we're... Uh, working on selecting the dimensions that we are going to look at and then the indicators. Uh, for some of them, the indicators that are already out there could be used. Uh, so in some cases, we may need to do some uh, surveys uh, in order to um, get the uh, data that we we'll need um, uh, for the indicators. Uh, but basically, uh, we'll be um, uh, not uh, starting from scratch, but building up on what's um, uh, already uh, there. Um, I think I would also just uh, very briefly speak to this issue of um, uh, 
capacity and uh, capability. Um, my own view on this is that until you start doing it, you are not going to have the capability or the capacity to do it. You know, the very process of getting into it uh, helps you to build the capacity. But if you're going to sit back and say, I don't have it and I can't do it, uh, then it will... It will never. It will never happen. Um, then there's one last point uh, to come back to. Uh, you know the previous set of uh, uh, questions um, that uh, related to um, this uh, issue of. Um, if I could go back to it, um, would African ag um, agriculture be competitive with um, European agriculture and, and all this? Um, one aspect that we often overlook is the um, uh, the uh, missed opportunities uh, just by not uh, having um, global incentives aligned with um, uh, the way that um, global investment uh, flows. So why should anyone want to invest in African agriculture uh, if um, there are subsidies um, and other disincentives to, to do that? So I think that's um, uh, just to... Uh, um, uh, connect that with the point that uh, Abby also made on, on this issue. I thought um, should we should maybe come back to this. Okay. Uh, maybe I can take the one on trickle down sort of sure. and the other one yeah. uh, poverty. I mean, I think like in terms of how do how does this growth and processes benefit everyone? I mean, I, I think the simple answer to this is, is in the jobs um, side of it. So industrialization is a powerful job creator when it's done um, in a certain way, one factory hires, you know, like 500, 1,000, 5,000 people. And that's how uh, the larger part of the population benefits. And of course, it's not immediate and it's not a process that takes place uh, very quickly. But over time, uh, this is probably the answer, uh, in my view. Um, and on the sort of like spillovers from, you know, industrial parks and specifically linked to Chinese investments in Africa, I mean, in a way, it's, it's similar. It's a matter of time, uh, mostly. Um, we know that Chinese investments in Africa, and I'm not sure about all sectors, but specifically in agriculture, in manufacturing, uh, employment of African workers is like more than 80%, 90%, right? So there's a lot of workers who work in these factories and are trained and learn and can then move to work in other uh, workplaces and, and have other opportunities. And that's how the sort of the knowledge gets um, diffused. We were uh, visiting a Chinese factory in a special economic zone that was last year. And we were speaking to the HR manager who is from that country uh, and the HR manager said, you know, I've been doing this job here for a couple of years now. I think I could run a factory myself now. So it's sort of, it is a process. It takes time, but people eventually learn, and, um, and that's how the sort of linkages and spillovers happen. And of course, it, you can also facilitate that with policies, local content, and so on and so forth. Uh, but it's not immediate. It's a process. Okay, very good. Chi? Um, so, uh, starting with uh, Max's question, I, th I think um, maybe graft and state capture should be uh, avoided. No more gutters. Um, <laughs> that should definitely be avoided. Um, so that was a very in interesting question in regard to um, the um, how sectors should be chosen, and uh, I don't have all the. Um, uh, knowledge of all the economic computations. Um, so I was thinking from a philosophical point of view, utilitarianism, pragmatism, 
Africa has a, um, a job issue and a demographic dividend that can be a, a real problem unless the pace of job increases. And so, um, as, I, as I mentioned, agriculture is uh, the first uh, largest employer in developing nations. The second is manufacturing, so that um, I think should factor into the into the decision. And also um, looking at the way things have worked in the in the past, um, industrialization, manufacturing is a necessary step along the way. Uh, there was, I don't know if that answers your question, I, I hope that, that helps somewhat. Um, there was a question, uh, the gentleman from Ingo UK, um, so you made a point about efforts vis-a-vis -vis manufacturing in Nigeria, which I'm hearing about, but I'm sorry, yeah, what was the... Not too from Cameroon. Yes, 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 of course, yes, of course. It's in Nigeria on the eastern side of it. Oh, right, okay. And there's a huge uh, garment industry and footwear mm -hmm, over mm -hmm. there. And I'm thinking about why there are no conversation going on. You know, to join up uh, the efforts you are making and what is what is already happening in that area. Well, um, I think from that perspective, we need to consider the uh, the vast differences that exist on the continent, even between neighboring countries. So before I mentioned the difference between the, 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 the feasibility of having um, uh, a textile park in Kenya as opposed to Ethiopia, or vice versa, it's more feasible in Kenya, whereby you've got uh, a much lower cost of, um, of machinery, uh, sorry, of electricity. So uh, essentially, my answer is that um, each region, each country has very specific needs and, and therefore uh, they should be taken on a case-by-case -case basis. Mm -hmm. Okay. You can talk about it afterwards a bit more. I'm talking about joint up efforts. Yeah. In, okay. In, in, in what? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, can, you can follow that up. You can jointly follow that up. to China for training and when can build the capacities from within the continent in Africa. Yeah, that's a good point. Abi, yeah, Abi. If oh, I just uh, very briefly, uh, you know, um, as I understand it, uh, Cameroon is in Central Africa, so um, is uh, part of the economic community for Central African states. Nigeria is in ECOWAS. Everyone uh, is applying to be in ECOWAS. Yeah, yeah, well, it does not happen yet. All I'm saying is that um, uh, the uh, preferential arrangements um, in ECOWAS do not yet apply to Cameroon. Uh, so you do have, again, uh, these, um, you know, what the, we're trying to achieve through the continental free trade area, you know, where you would have, um, uh, you know, um, a, uh, you know, uh, you know a, a continent-wide preferential area that would then embrace uh, Nigeria and Cameroon, which currently are not in the same uh, uh, preferential area, if I, if I could put it that way. But both countries are in the both both countries are in the Commonwealth, and our, com uh, well, our the, committee. The Commonwealth does not have a. <laughs> our, com does not have our committee a is co our co committee is co-chaired by Lord Purvis and also the uh, Minister Nalema from uh, the Trade Minister from Nigeria, uh, and so we will <laughs> we'll bring this off. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, Avi. Okay, just uh, two quick points. Uh, one is, I think, a very interesting point with regards to poverty. Uh, why do we care? Because we want to reduce poverty and uh, promote uh, employment. Uh, for the industrialization activities that are taking place, I think if we look at some of the activities taking 
uh, route in much of Africa. They are labor intensive and predominantly they are targeting also women. Therefore, in that count, they are contributing a lot to reducing uh, poverty for, uh, for uh, the disadvantaged population. But there is one qualification that I would like to make uh, there. Are the jobs that are provided through the industrialization efforts decent? Is there a very respectable employment relationship between employers and employees? These are outstanding questions that we are investigating right now, actually, for one national uh, human development report. Mm -hmm. This is the intellectual effort that we should spend more time on. Okay. Therefore, we don't have answer for those. And one sure. final comment on what not to do. Yeah. Uh, from economic history or from past industrialization uh, efforts, we know that some African countries in the 1960s or Latin America pr prior to that have uh, adopted ISI, uh, import substitution strategy. Nothing wrong with that by design, but the mistake was the protection given for the infant industries was indefinite. So we should have a time-bound trade policy concept when it comes to protecting uh, indigenous yeah. industries. And I suppose you can substitute imports by promoting domestic capabilities rather than banning them. Maybe that's, that's one way of doing So what I'd like to do is just get quickly some, uh, some questions in and then uh, I'll give the panel one final last uh, word, just half a minute each. Um, two questions there. Because we're, we're close to six o'clock, so... Yeah. My, name is Akish, um, Could you use My name is Akish. I'm um, coming from an institute called Policy Institute for Africa Economy. Um, my question is for panels. They told them to four panels apart from you. Obviously, Africa needs a job. Africa, 90% of young people, 25 years old downward, need a job, people there. The problem in Africa, we have agricultures it's been dead because we have a cheapest good coming from everywhere in the world and damaged Africa. For the panels, how do you target this kind of thing? Protectionism. Our governments, the government in Africa, they're all of them, they are puppets. They are Western puppets, they are Chinese, they are just protecting themselves. Without just getting out from their position, creating a job for young people, the war in Africa will not stop. Okay. We are here, we can talk and talk. And without creating job to Africa, nothing can be helped. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. That's great. Lady. Thanks. Um, just to pick up, sorry, I'm, I'm Sarah I'm from the IGC here in London also. Um, just to pick up a bit on what you said, Dirk, about the anti-ISI um, um, policies, and just to ask in terms of like what government interventions are there to really take local content policies deeper, like thinking of Ethiopia and the matchmaking that they do with foreign investors and local suppliers to raise domestic capabilities. Um, in this like smart policy, how much are we thinking about what government can do to raise domestic capabilities in a very tangible way? Because it's a, it's a good way to, to promote competitiveness without cutting corners and, and protectionism. Yep. And another very quick question just on the harmonization of standards in the CFTA and how that's been such an obstacle even within trade blocks like the EAC and how are you seeing those negotiations going and 
yeah, it's a very sticky point. So I was just wondering if you have any insight into into how that will look like. Yeah. Okay, John. Over there, John Burton. I'm John Burton from KPMG. Uh, I was just thinking about what what drove other regions to industrialize and. I think low labour costs are a big part of that, but there are also other things like available energy and other things. Um, <laughs> but I, I just wondered, do you think that uh, robot technology and artificial intelligence is going to take away the opportunity to use uh, low labour costs as a driver for manufacturing? Thank mm -hmm. you. Okay, thanks. That's, uh, um, uh, I suppose we need to keep it here. Uh, on robots and automation, that's something we're actually working on at the moment, so you need to wait, wait for a few, uh, few more weeks. Uh, that's that when, uh, then we're launching another uh, set report on the particularly that issue around uh, automation, digitalization, and the future of African manufacturing, which, which is actually an, an, important, uh, an important issue. Um, I'm not going to say what's going to be in it. <laughs> you have to wait for a few, few more weeks. Um, Panelists, um, take one issue, uh, half a minute. Uh, what is the, the key issue you want to say? Uh, you may want to respond to the questions or just say, what is the most smart about smart trade policy uh, that you think we should um, take home? Uh, if you don't, well, you, you know, if, if you don't mind, let me perhaps uh, yep, respond sure. to the question on standards uh, in the CFTA. I think it's an opportunity, actually, for the uh, African countries to move towards... Um, greater harmonization of uh, of standards to uh, build the same capabilities in standards unfortunately the uh, african regional standards organization has been working towards this it's now sees a great opportunity uh, to accelerate uh, this work so um you know and that's already provided for uh, in the um, cft agreement for cooperation and on on on, on standards um perhaps uh, i'll just uh, very quickly is my half a minute off a quarter of a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'll just uh, maybe uh, just uh, very quickly touch on the question that was raised about um, uh, some of the problems that you see. Uh, I think also the CFTA is an opportunity for trade policy coherence uh, with um, between African, Africa and third countries. Um, so with uh, China, where there's a lacuna, with India... Uh, even with the UK and, and uh, you know, all partners, uh, I think the CFTA gives African countries uh, the opportunity to um, approach uh, third uh, partners um, uh, from a much more coherent perspective. That has been missing up, to, up till now. Uh, so many of these problems that you highlight uh, hopefully could then be overcome uh, through um, operating from a, a common approach uh, on, 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 on trade policies. Okay. So I'll stop there. Let me first go, before I go to Lina, uh, Abi, maybe? Okay. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, wanting to say, I would like to highlight that intra-Africa trade is uh, a lifeline for many uh, African countries, and that should be uh, a focus. And I think on reflection, Africa should be honest in terms of uh, avoiding trade costs, uh, which are higher within the, the borders, particularly with regards to cross-border trading uh, and corruption at the customs office, uh, which is an endemic problem that should be addressed. Okay, Chief. Well, uh, the gentleman at the back uh, made a point uh, which I uh, agree with in part vis-a-vis uh, -vis subsidies, um, which are very uh, damaging. 
I wasn't at Buenos Aires, um, but conversations are are, are ongoing. Um, I think I'd like to uh, answer your, um, uh, take your point um, in regard to our um, smartest smart policy or mm -hmm. one thing that we'd like to take forward. Um, so we discussed the notion of the government being very much involved. Um, and I just uh, wrote down a question, which, which government? Uh, I think that um, the uh, aid for, for trade uh, agenda needs to be ramped up and uh, potentially the, the UK government should be looking at uh, supporting entrepreneurs uh, such as myself working in, in Africa. Okay. Um, so Linda, you were the organizer of the event and uh, together with Max, but what's your final um, final remark on any of these questions, mm -hmm. um, maybe around the sort of robots and technology. And I know we okay. don't like, maybe there's no answer yet. I'm not like just as worried as many other people are. I don't think this is something that's coming so quickly and in such a huge way that we are, uh, that some of us are worried about. So yeah, I wouldn't be, um, I, I would be partially concerned, but not too much. And then we can discuss maybe more later. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. So we discussed uh, uh, trade policy, industrial policy. Actually, we talked most, mostly about jobs, so Carlo, about jobs and the, the role that um, uh, sort of targeting had in this, the role that industrial policy had in this, the role that the CFTA had in this. Um, and um, there's a lot that can be done, needs to be done. Um, and I think some of you also mentioned the issue about learning. And we also need to just get on with it, and 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 sort the of targeting uh, of this um, just needs 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 to work. You learn, uh, and then you you adjust. And I think that's that's part of industrialization. That's important. And so I hope you have learned from uh, from this discussion, and that to collectively we can uh, uh, provide advice, including to the U.S. Uh, uh, government around the Mitumba issue. But um, uh, thank you very much for coming. Do read uh, uh, the report, which is online. I think uh, the UNECA also read our. Report reports on the SET website, the Sporting Economic Transformation website, um, which is very much related. And uh, I'd like to thank you for, um, uh, for coming and for contributing so much and so effectively to the conversation. But thanks, uh, f first and foremost, to the panelists uh, for, uh, for their excellent contribution. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening. For more ODI live event podcasts, find us on SoundCloud or subscribe to the Overseas Development Institute podcasts via iTunes. Mm -hmm.